0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of Public Power Underground. On today's show, we're discussing market evolution in the Northwest on a premium, slightly less informal, and possibly a little formal episode of Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest Public Power and Public Power adjacent news. We're calling this more professional version, Public Power Underground. Premium. On Public Power Underground. Premium. We'll do a deep dive into market evolution with special guest stars from across the country. We'll lay the groundwork on why markets are important to Northwest Public Power Utilities by talking with PPC's Mike Lynn. We'll get a refresher on what SPP means by their Market Plus concept with SPP's Steve Johnson. Finally, we'll debrief and digest what this all means with celebrities from across Northwest Public Power. If you found Public Power Underground, it means you're probably an electric utility enthusiast like us. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Public Power Underground, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. I'm the manager of the power department at Clatskanie People's Utility District, the co-host, lead writer, publisher, and editor of Public Power Underground, Paul Dockery. To kick off this premium episode of public power underground i'm joined by a returning champion our special market evolution correspondent friend of the underground and ppc's current senior policy analyst mike lynn hey mike welcome to public power
1: underground paul how are you doing it's so good to be back here oh no no, we got it.
0: We got it. We're doing great. It's good. You're back. You're back. You're one of the stars of public power underground. I think I'm gonna go with a special market evolution correspondent as your title. What do you think about that title?
1: I I love that. You know, even at PPC, they've talked a little bit about getting me a new title. So I kind of like the ring of that.
0: Yeah, special. That, that's your public power underground title. As for all PPC people, should either be like directors or uh, yeah. analysts or, I don't know, superstars. One of those three should be in every PPC staff's title. So yeah, what, I like, I like analyst is a good title, but like directors, director is nice. It Superstar is, is appropriate.
1: We'll have to take that feedback uh, back to PPC and um, I, if you have some more brainstorming on titles, I am all ears because it is something that uh, is very, very difficult and like humbling for me to think through.
0: Yeah, well, I'll be your advocate. I like to I like to you know fight on behalf of people that I think are all stars. So uh, Scott Sims, friend of the underground, he has been on. So Scott, you know, superstar Mike Lynn, it's a valid title for PPC staff. I think we should we should get you get you superstar status.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) So I had you back on because PPC is hosting like this series uh, to answer member questions about market evolution in the West. You, our special market evolution correspondent, I think has some good insights here. It sounds like PPC's market development committee has asked uh, you as staff and and PPC in general to host these discussion areas. and, And it was kicked off at the March Members Forum, where you invited leadership from the Southwest Power Pool to talk about SPP's experience in organized markets. I'm hoping you can give us some background on, on why PPC, the Executive Committee and the, the Market Development Committee, views this as strategically important for public power and um, and its customers. So to try to get us keyed up and, and on level set the, the groundwork for this discussion.
1: Sure, so I think, um... Setting the context of why markets is, are important, especially to Bonneville customers, I think it, it really comes back to kind of two key pieces. And, and first is that Bonneville's rate structure credits net secondary revenue. So when Bonneville's making net secondary surplus sales, those are uh, sales where the, the proceeds essentially credit back and lower power rates. So... That anything that impacts that is going to have an impact on power rates and is worth uh, exploring and advocating for. And the second piece is the kind of more Western context of market expansion where, you know, there's been this big push for the real-time energy imbalance market over the last decade or so where we've seen considerable expansion. PAC joining first in 2014 and up to what, 23 uh, current and pending participants. And you've got the slide up there, you can see Bonneville's essentially gonna be surrounded by EIM participants uh, in the near future. So to the degree that those organized market frameworks and structures um, become the dominant place where Bonneville's selling surplus uh, energy, that could have significant impacts, you know, to the positive side or to the negative side on uh, Bonneville's secondary revenues and thus power rates. So it's, it's a very, um, in the West, it's a much newer development, but it's a very important one that has, I think personally, uh, very large financial implications for Bonneville.
0: So uh, you kind of spoke to uh, the energy imbalance market in the West. I think it may be helpful to differentiate the type of markets Bonneville participates in currently, um, which are bilateral, right? And and the difference in bilateral trading in the West, which has been the way Bonneville and a lot of us have done it for a long time. And the evolution into like the EIM is a market operation. It's not bilateral. And, and the way that could evolve over time. So uh, the EIM and, and market operations versus bilateral, can you give some insight into what differentiates and what the different uh, opportunities are?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll start with kind of the bilateral market framework and that's just, there's all sorts of avenues between ICE, the inter- con- intercontinental exchange. Um, there's brokers that work all across the West can call your buddy up and trade energy that way but fundamentally what it is is it's the buyers and sellers coming together agreeing on a price um bilateral transaction bilaterally the two of them meeting together under some form and saying i'm willing to sell you this energy wspp conch schedule c at let's say 40 dollars." so it's a mutually agreed upon price you know what you're getting um, and I'll talk about this a little bit later. There's specifics of the of the current bilateral firm energy framework that create a lot of value um, versus you know an energy imbalance market where, backing up a little bit more broadly to an organized market, uh, instead of you know calling your buddy on the phone or typing in uh, instant messenger to do a deal, you submit a bunch of bids for demand bids for supply. And a supercomputer basically comes through and says, "Well, what's the what's the least expensive way to, to meet that load?" And but, and so, but there's differences. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, go go go. You got the differences. Yeah, that's where I was going.
1: Oh yeah, and um, so but if you think about differences between those two markets, it, it, it comes kind of down to this this principle. At least right now with the California ISO, it's an energy only market so it's basically the marginal cost of energy production is is setting the market price but if you think at in terms of the bilateral market and let's say you're a generator you can fully price in startup costs or if you're a peaking unit you're allowed to set the clearing price so there's all these kinds of intrinsic uh price formation things that are important and valuable to bonneville that show up in the bilateral market, but not necessarily uh, under the existing CAISO kind of price formation.
0: Yeah, so you talk about this energy imbalance market as an uh, energy-only market. One of the questions I think uh, to ask, or that I'm going to ask you, is around um, the rest of the region. A lot of participants are joining this energy imbalance market. So what happens if Bonneville wouldn't? I mean, that's still, I think, has a lot of impact on the value Bonneville gets out of their energy, regardless of whether Bonneville joins or not, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think absolutely so. So I think anytime you have the expansion of a new market, that creates you know arbitrage opportunities. Um, if the people are predominantly you know trading in market A and there's an existing market B, those things are going to tend to pull together and maybe this is less impactful in, let's say an EIM market. But if you think of the context of like a broader day ahead market in EDAM, or um, as you're familiar with the SPP markets plus, you know, that has the potential to uh, go beyond that and kind of replace those bilateral trading hubs, or at least have significant financial impacts on them. So, yeah.
0: So the, the participation in these markets impacts the secondary revenue Bonneville gets. It also impacts as counterparties move to organized markets, the liquidity for customers of Bonneville that maybe don't, like a slice customer does not get the net secondary uh, credits directly from Bonneville. You know, we, we sell surplus site into these other markets. So um, as the organized market gains in popularity, let's say in the region, there's yeah. concerns about liquidity, right? So, and, and you mentioned the extended day ahead market initiatives in CAISO and, and the impact on day ahead markets. So the energy imbalance market is energy for imbalance. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak to the risks of the evolution into day ahead markets um, and the opportunities that may exist for for Bonneville and, yeah. uh, and their preference customers?
1: Yeah. And yeah, and it, I think it all comes back to that net secondary revenue piece. And what will this impact be on Bonneville's net secondary, or like you said, the slice customers that have the ability to monetize their slice. Uh, similarly, where if a good market comes through, it has good price formation, you know, it, it values capacity, it values the attributes of the resources and the value they create. I think there's significant opportunities for the expansion of markets. You get a more efficient dispatch against the, across the wider footprint um, there's new products that are being contemplated, things like imbalance reserves, um, capacity products that don't really exist today that Bonneville can monetize. Um, so there's upside there. But conversely, if if an energy only market comes through and all of a sudden, you know, Bonneville has hundreds of millions of dollars in secondary sales and the value of capacity div- Goes away from that price, then that's that's a real threat to Bonneville's secondary revenues. So, it to me, it really comes back to those key um, pieces of the market design, like price formation, governance, um, market structure. So. It,
0: yeah. And and in, in the day ahead market it seems like there is also a little bit more risk associated with transmission like because so much of our uh transactions are on the day ahead instead of this the energy imbalance market is uh, a small portion of the types of uh, energy that we transact in um but as you go into day ahead more volume gets traded more transmission is necessary and also it seems like there's uh, a a necessity that you have some commitment to deliver in the day ahead. If you've contracted for or relying on for resource adequacy or resource sufficiency purposes. So can you speak to that risk and, and how to think about market evolution in terms of these big components of risk?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question, Paul. And yeah, hitting on that volume piece too is I think so key. It's just, there's so much more transactions in the day-ahead time space versus the EIM, you know, which really is just an imbalanced market. And I think hitting that, boiling that question up a little bit is um, the transmission and the firmness. And it, I think it comes down to can you know counterparties reliably depend on these day-ahead transactions to meet their load? So are they firm? Are they supported by transmission? if I have a gas generator, am I comfortable relying on this market to turn off my gas generator, which I may not be able to turn back on in time again, you know, to meet my load. So how dependable is that is that deal? And that's a lot of the topics that EDAM is gonna to have to work through. Like, what do we have a, a strong um, resource efficiency test that, you know, Make sure that these, you know, uh, transactions can meet that threshold. Are they backed by transmission? So, when, when I think about that question, there's there's a lot to it. It's the transmission, the resource efficiency. Um, is this an energy only market, or is it firmed up in some capacity?
0: And it's not just EDAM, right? It's any sort of market evolution into a day ahead market that would replace a bilateral, right? So this any market operator. um, You talked about, you know, SPP came and and talked about maybe a markets plus possibility at the members forum that you introduced the concept at. Um, All of any of those are going to have to deal with this. And any of them could change the way Bonneville uh, sees revenues accrue in the secondary uh, input for their wholesale. Can you speak to um. The the how how big of an impact? How, what is the overarching risk to secondary revenues? And can you speak to the overall volume and how that how that can change over time?
1: Yeah. Sure. So Bonneville's secondary revenues can swing drastically year to year, which I'm sure you are very familiar with. Uh, water year. Gas prices, loads, transmission. There's so many moving pieces to this. But if you think about it historically, their secondary is typically kind of fluctuated between $200 million and $500 million a year. Okay. A lot. That's a lot of money. And it is tough to quantify kind of how much does capacity in a price. Um, show like filter all the way back up to those two hundred or five hundred million, but I think another way to think about it is at this point the at least the entire bucket can be affected, and it, it's it's hard to you know quantify the degree to w- which it will be impacted. But I think we know that there are significant impacts. So I, on, on the screen right now, you've got kind of um, a chart I put together that shows, you know, 30% of their energy is already going into Kaeso, um, which means that, you know, two thirds of their energy, if, if it's not getting priced for capacity anymore, that could be a, that could be a significant change in their secondary revenues. And then conversely, if, if the Kaiso reformulates their markets um, to the degree that which they've talked about, you know, firming up their uh, their market, so it is not just energy only, that could be a significant boon. So it, it's tough to say the magnitude, but we do know uh, just a very large part of money, pot of money will be affected.
0: One of the things when uh, Bonneville has gone through the workshops for participation in the energy and balance market um, that, that always seemed, I don't actually know how much was spoken, but it seemed to be like subtext that there are, California is going through initiatives to uh, improve the energy imbalance market, to develop the extended day ahead market. And insofar as you can be a participant in those changing rules, you can influence the rules. So, and and it seems in, in looking and considering the secondary sales and how much of it goes to California currently, there seems to be value in just being part of the conversation in any market evolution to make sure that you can influence how this price formation occurs. Is that been explicit that there's strategic importance to being part of these conversations, regardless of the organized market you end up participating in?
1: I, that has been um, a major theme in PPC's market developments committee. And one thing we have been trying to impress is that Bonneville goes, Bonneville doesn't go. These things are going to have significant financial impacts on Bonneville, and that's one of the reasons that you know PPC is very engaged in KISO initiatives uh, right now. Um, I personally attend a lot of calls with the KISO. I submit a lot of comments, and it's exactly for those reasons you mapped out.
0: Yeah, I think, and we really appreciate it, right? And and I say this all the time on this podcast, and I'll say it again, like we are a small utility and we have small st- staff size and we can't participate in all of these forums, which is why we love our special uh, market evolution correspondent to come on and talk to about it because I think there is value in not only you participating, but communicating to the membership as you do um, uh, regularly at the executive committee meetings, the members forum. I think that's really valuable to make sure that we understand um, how this can affect our over our participation, our, particip- or our sales from Bonneville, our purchases from Bonneville. So given that, um, it sounds like you're going to continue, PBC is going to continue this educational series. What's the next step um, and what are you going to talk about next? What's the next thing on your mind?
1: Well, I think um, more in terms of the educational series, I think one of the things that we've discussed quite a bit uh, in previous meetings and we're gearing up to roll out is kind of this risk exercise where we really want to get a better understanding of PPC's memberships, essentially risk appetite when it comes to things like markets and price volatility. And as a big piece of that is just kind of level setting as a large organization um, with diverse members to get a common kind of language, a common understanding to make sure that we can have that conversation. And I think that will really help inform a wide range of, uh, of initiatives that PPC works on from any everything from 2028 contracts to the, the market work we're doing. So that's in my mind kind of the next education step. Um, and then in terms of KISO itself, I am excited to be tuning into much more of their summer readiness uh, meetings coming up later this week. They are also taking up resource sufficiency. So uh, a lot of those opportunities and threats um, those are kind of things that are gonna be addressed in some of those forums.
0: I really, I do think that your your insight into risk tolerance for its members is really important. Um, I also think you're, y'all are gonna have at the next members forum some discussion about regulatory risk if, as participation markets. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, the next uh, members forum on March 31st, we're gonna be hosting regulatory experts from the American Public Power Association in the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association to discuss uh, regulatory consequences of participating in organized markets. So it's uh, it's going to be a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well, because there are, I mean, public power has questions about uh, Bonneville's participation in these organized markets, because there could be some risk to be um regulated, I suppose, uh, learn more about it at the members forum. But there are some public power uh, customers that that do participate in organized markets and are in, are in organized markets. So I think having uh, APPA, who has members, and then the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, those are great organizations. I'm glad you invited them. It's really, should be really good.
1: I'm excited. To, yeah, I'm excited to listen in.
0: Great. Well, thanks, Mike, for coming on Public Power Underground. I really appreciate having you back. Uh, you're in the running for the anadromous belt Uh, I'm really excited about that and uh, really looking forward to to having you back again to talk about Kaiso
1: thanks Paul I am I'm excited and I will uh, I'm happy to call or come back in anytime
0: great thank you very much all right thanks Joining Public Power Underground to provide a refresher on the Market Plus concept is SPP's principal operations specialist, a former senior vice president for the Western Area Power Administration, and a willing collaborator, Steve Johnson. Steve, welcome to Public Power Underground.
2: Paul, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for the invitation and and uh, the opportunity to to further clarify what exactly we're up to here.
0: I appreciate uh, your willingness to kind of come on and have a conversation. Um, I you know, in this time of Zoom meetings and full days of Zoom meetings, which is what the March fourth members forum was, it was at the end of a long day for me. Um, you know, not always is your attention span uh, that great. So uh, this is really helpful. I hope for more than just me uh, as a way to have a conversation, hear the concepts, and be able to rewind. So uh, hopefully you can you you can engage with me on that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. With with as you mentioned, in today's world, you got to hear things a few times for them to stick because we are constantly bar- bombarded with information.
0: Absolutely. So, um, so I wanted to kind of start with the just big pieces of the concept, and I think calling it a concept makes sense to me. Um, it was a market plus. Uh, Framework um, about how you think about evolution for the Northwest could go under an SPP model. So, can you talk through what these big pieces are—the component pieces of your concept overall?
2: Sure, sure. So, when you when you think of Markets Plus, like you said, we're at that concepts and principles phase, and um, we've been watching the West. And frankly, you know, as you know, I'm from the West, so I'm. I'm pretty well aware of, of the issues that um, the West considers near and dear to their heart. And, and um, you know, the reasons why, frankly, you haven't seen widespread market activity across the West um, beyond the EIM. Uh, we all know that an energy imbalance market, uh, be it California's energy imbalance market or SPP's new Western energy imbalance service, you know, they tend to bring estimates around 10% of total benefit of market benefit to, to the membership. So it's, it's, it's a incremental positive step. And it definitely brings a certain amount of additional, you know, potential reliability tools to the table, but it's definitely not, um, as beneficial as, as, you know, you move further down the market, uh, the, the, uh, organized market road. So what I'm what I'm referring to here is potentially adding a day ahead component because what we've looked at in the west is you you've you've pretty much got what you have today which is your either California Energy Imbalance service or the WISE or you've got the potential to go into a full-blown RTO but no one really sees a lot in between. I know EDAM has been something that folks have explored and you run into some, some fairly large rocks to get over and, you know, transmission being one of the, one of the chief um, issues to, to approach. And a lot of the issues um, tend to revolve around governance because when folks are nervous about governance, um, they tend to want to make sure they maintain as much flexibility as possible um, so that they can frankly protect themselves. So, as I mentioned in the meeting, you know, why is good governance so important? Because good governance leads to a good market design. And a good market design leads to, you know, good price formation and so on and so forth. So, so the big rocks as we see them, again, governance first and foremost. Uh, we know this is a novel idea trying to lay a um, day ahead component over the top of a real-time market without being a full-blown RTO. So we we've recognized that maybe having an independent market expert at the table to help us walk through that as a group and and keep an eye on things for a little while after things are up and running um, probably makes a lot of sense. Again, just in the spirit of transparency and and wanting to make a a collaborative approach and and design the best thing possible, um, you know, for the membership. We also know, obviously, trade with California is important. This is another one of the major issues that folks um, are worried about that. Well, if we move into a market that isn't operated by California, does that harm our ability to have good, you know, trade with California? And the only thing I would say to that is, yes, there'll be a seam. There's a seam today. Um, I think, you know, folks are, are realizing more and more that, that it's still, it's not a perfect fit between the EIM and the California market. Right. And um, so the ability to, um, Come in as a peer and negotiate a good scenes agreement with, with the market operator between the two market operators um, could actually bring potential additional benefit, especially if you can unlock more of the transmission um, to make the overall market operate more efficiently. So I would just caution folks, don't don't immediately assume it's going to be worse. You know, let's let's do some math and see what it looks like. Uh, I already talked about transmission availability, you know, that comes potentially at a cost for those that that are wheel through entities. And we have to work on proper congestion reallocation and, and ensure that um, you know, the transmission that brings value to the market is, is compensated. Um, however, there's, there's a balance there, right? Because you don't want to get to a full blown pancake type paradigm because then we're no better off than we are today. So, so that's a big issue is working through where is that balance. Again, it's going to take a collaborative effort. Um, getting the right market products to the table. Um, making sure we incent the right things. Um, again, that goes into accurate price formation. And finally, greenhouse gas. We know we have to have something that would function with California today. And we know that we're going to have several other states headed down a, a similar but different road. And we really want to make sure we're at the table for that one. And when I say we, I'm talking as the entire industry so that you know interstate commerce can happen. We've got to have programs that will mesh. And I think being at the table with the regulators and and the various utilities and having everybody consider it early on will only help um, a a multi-state market function better in the long run. So those are the big items that that we have talked about today. We don't have solutions for everything um, at all. We have some ideas in several areas. And and this is where that engagement um, with, you know, the Western entities to really flesh this out, to really listen to them and um, make sure that what we think we're hearing is, is in fact what we're hearing and, and then build those relationships and work on something that will eventually lead to a good transparent governance model to hopefully put forward something new that works for everyone.
0: Yeah, so what I, I mean, I hear a lot of the key words, right? And the key issues that we as a region have struggled with in these market evolution conversations, right? There's transmission, there's governance, there's the greenhouse gas accounting, you, like you're hitting on all the right topics and you're using the key word that we love in public power, which is collaboration, because working together uh, is really important. Um, to, to kind of think through um, the, the piece, I think, that is at the heart of this proposal and is novel, as you mentioned, is this day ahead stacked on top of a real-time balancing market. Um, so as you, and, and, and I want to kind of clarify, so uh, SPP has the Western Energy Imbalance Service currently. It mm-hmm. just got launched, I think it was January 1st this year.
2: February. February
0: 1st. February 1st. Um, do you see this, this effort to collaborate within the Northwest as kind of joining that service or is this trying to form something like it, but for, the Northwest that has an additional piece that's day ahead?
2: So we, we don't necessarily see this as an extension of Weiss. Um, however, we want to build up the success of Weiss. It is something separate and distinct. Okay. Um, but, but like I said, with those successes, I think, I think us laying out what Weiss is and, and how it works from a governance standpoint and, and frankly, from a functioning market standpoint, if, 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 if we can leverage what we've already done, that's, that's just more efficient for everyone, but it's not intended to drag the Weiss membership along into something new. Um, it is separate and distinct
0: or add us to something that already exists. It's something like, yeah. like I like the way you frame it is if there's value in the framework, we can use some of the framework. Right. I'm, I love the, like, let's, let's try to minimize our work and be efficient. That's uh that's definitely a key. key exactly.
2: Exactly. And, and, you know, and, and we're going to continue to work on WISE. Um, you know, one of the next steps is, is to start looking at some sort of DC top DC tie optimization with the Eastern market. So um Again, we've we've got it on and it's up and running, and, and our goal is to continue to improve that as well. And um, regardless of the market construct that ends up, you know, being able to to function between the east and the west, I think will only benefit everyone. If you look at the last 12 months, frankly, uh, there's been two major times in opposite directions where being able to leverage one interconnection for the other would have been really helpful um, for California last summer and for SPP and frankly, you and MISO in, in February. And, and I, I've, I've kind of come up with a new joke. It's 72 somewhere. And that's, <laughs> that's where we need to move the energy from to the areas that are not, right?
0: Right. So the, the other area I thought at the members forum that um, you, that was interesting about your proposal, and you talked about it just now, where you aren't talking about going to a full-blown RTO. You're trying to find some middle ground that ha- leverages the value of all of the transactions that occur in day ahead, which is larger volume than the Energy imbalance Service, but also integrate some of these other programs that we're considering in the Northwest that are some ways, islanded currently. So the reliability coordinator function for the Northwest is currently done by CAISO resource adequacy is a program that's trying to be that the Northwest power pool is trying to develop and implement. And, and your proposal considered the possibility of taking those component pieces and putting them under one governance structure. Do I remember that right?
2: Um, not necessarily a single governance structure, but to make sure that, um, For example, we know what pretty well what the RA program is going to be, regardless of who ends up administering it, or what the governance structure looks like, we want to make sure that that RA program would inform the market such that it would it would solve the supply adequacy component. Again, that the the reliability coordinator is a separate and distinct, you know, contract um, fee for service contract, but um, You know, market operator, RC, all in the same room, all that. There are efficiencies there that will likely grow over time. So um, not necessarily trying to pull them all under a single governance structure per se, but just want to make sure that, as we talked about earlier with Weiss, if there's something we've already done that works well, let's leverage that. And,
0: so and, it's in some ways a similar efficiency of work product and trying to make sure that, and the integration, too, of the resource adequacy program, did I hear that right, is making sure that the resource adequate program that gets developed works with the market you're trying. To.
2: Exactly. What we, we don't want, for example, the Northwest Power Pool folks to go through all the effort to set up a robust, well-functioning RA program, only to have to go through all the hoops to satisfy some you know separate and distinct um supply adequacy program um that the RA if if, if we consider it from the get go could could frankly completely satisfy so it, it's those kinds of discussions let's leverage what we know out there and what we know will work and make it efficient because the more efficient we can make not only the market but the ability to get the market set up it just saves you know all of the stakeholders money frankly
0: yeah, uh, I like that. Uh, the integration components and thinking through making sure that is a successful, I think, is important to a lot of the Northwest entities who put a lot of work in into thinking through that program. Um, the The other uh, topic that keeps coming up is the collaboration and the governance. And you mentioned just now this uh, the idea of having an independent market expert to help try to do the price formation. Um, and it and I love this talking point around um, you can't have good price formation without good governance. So how do you think through governance structure? What's SPP's approach to governance? Um, and, and how does that work with the Northwest and how we think through these issues?
2: Sure, you know, SPP's approach to governance, SPP prides itself in, in frankly being a facilitator. Um, there is no agenda here other than developing efficient products that, that benefit our membership. Um, so, so as a um, facilitator, we get the interested stakeholders in the room, and this thing is developed in an inclusive and collaborative um, setting. And when I say this thing, it's it's anything we work on. It's the integrated marketplace today. It's it's the Western Energy and Balance Service. Uh, frankly, even the RC service um, in the West, it, they all have collaborative, you know, stakeholder groups that ultimately report up to an independent board. Um, you know the independent board will typically give great deference to that group um however if if, if there's if there is a, a a conversation or complaint that's filed then the board will get engaged and and, and it becomes this collaborative effort between the board and the, the associated committee or subcommittee to work through those issues until we can come to a to a solution that works for everyone so that's that's what we would expect in this situation there would be an independent board um, not tied to, to any particular interest, and you would have a very robust um, executive committee working group type um, construct that would impr- would would greatly inform what this thing looks like going forward. Of course, all under the umbrella of it has to you know make sure it, it satisfies FERC in the end. Um, but that's where we would likely be having conversations long way, as I mentioned. Um, at the PPC, you know, we've already had an initial outreach to FERC just to see, there were folks that were worried, for example, about the 08 MISO filing because they, they attempted something similar. And FERC sees this is different. They didn't say that, you know, it absolutely will pass muster, but they, they, there are definite differences between what we're proposing now and what the 08 order addressed. So it'll be those kinds of conversations as well.
0: So, uh, as part of your discussion, uh, which I really enjoy, is is this idea of this independent governance in the Northwest and having some ability as the Northwest to participate in these collaborative uh, um, processes? And I and I was going to make a joke about uh, getting advice from you on how to avoid committee assignments, but then I went through your bio and I realized you were in all of these committees uh, back in your history, right? So um, uh, can you talk a little bit more about how your members, uh, their takeaways from this collaborative process, and um, the ways uh, like a member that isn't uh, a participant, but is in the region, could uh, participate in, in in these forums?
2: Sure. So even today, um, the vast majority of the meetings that, that SPP has, if, if you wanted to plug into any of the committees or subcommittees, you know, with the, with the RTO in the East, uh, the Western energy and balance service, uh, even, even, um, the, you know, reliability coordinator, the vast majority of the meetings are open, but there is occasionally an executive session if something comes up, but that's the first way you can engage. The second thing is, you know, it, it's not limited to, um, say a BA or a TOP, some NERC functional level, uh, I mean, you know, Walmart, for example, is is a member of the RTO and is active on the committees in in, in um, the integrated marketplace. So um, we also have a separate regional state committee and ensure that they um, have a voice and have input. So the other thing too is these committees, you know, they morph over time if if there's a hole that needs to be filled. Um, then, you know, by all means, again, it's just part of being a facilitator and and that collaborative mindset to ensure that we're covering the bases. But to answer your question, just remember when it comes to committee, be there or be chair. It, you, you just, you have to make sure you're there or you may get volunteered.
0: <laughs> I like that. Be there, be the, be chair if they get volunteered for something. Um, so one of the other like areas I really found intriguing is your concept that you've mentioned at the members forum and mentioned here again, which is that good price formation isn't possible without good governance. Can you unpack that a little bit and how, um, you know, the price formation process and collaboration uh, would work to try to find the right price formation for the Northwest?
2: Sure. A lot of people equate good price formation to the cheapest price, okay? And I would argue in today's environment, you you want the most fair price and you want the most reflective price of reality. Uh, What I mean by that is the market design needs to be technology agnostic. It really does. But there are certain attributes that need to be brought to the market. And those attributes are very important to you know, to reliability and and, and making sure the market can function efficiently. So, um, it, it, it's gotta be more about what's fair. It's gotta be more about recognizing the true attributes. Uh, You want a market that clears the, the, the proper resources rather than having, for example, you know, a, a clearing, and then you've got all this, this resource being, um, nominated out of merit for reliability reasons. You don't want that because now you, you likely have, you know, some sort of price suppression. You want to make sure that what you actually need to run the market is being cleared properly. And and I, and, and that is very complex. And that's where this idea of, of you know, a collaborative inclusive group working through that um, is paramount. It's, and then you've got new technologies coming on. You know, how do you, how do you incent Um, For example, storage in a a market, if if that's where we want to go. And, and, and again, I, at the end of the day, we got to keep the lights on, we need the right capacity available in the right places. And that doesn't always equate to the cheapest thing, but we need to make sure it's fair, and that everyone is on board with with that um, price formation.
0: Yeah, the trying to make sure that your market operates efficiently for the services that your marketplace needs, right? And that's part of making sure that you have equitable uh, representation and making sure that you're making high beams on what is valuable for the region. So I I like that.
2: Exactly. I mean, if you come in eyes wide open, you'll know exactly what's under the hood. And if you know what's under the hood, you can trust it. And it's going to take a large amount of trust to make an efficient market work because without that that transparency and trust folks want to build in again all kinds of flexibility and and you know the voluntary nature while good at a certain level also you know limits the the, the ability for the market to function and let me let me explain that because that's a loaded response
0: um, please unpack it unpack it
2: yeah yeah, so so we wanna we wanna ensure that folks can maintain all the autonomy they would they would like. You know any anything prior to day ahead, you know, the individual oat constructs remain. Any bilateral trading they want to do remains, they can bring that to the table as a base schedule. But at a point in time, sometime in the day ahead time frame, say nine o'clock in the morning, in order to be efficient, it pretty much has to be turned over to the market to operate. And in order for folks to trust that, it has to be transparent and it has to be something that um, folks can say, okay, I'm good with handing it over now. Here's everything I've done up to that point, now take it and run it through real time. Because if we can't get there, we will never have a market that's as efficient or you know, as close as possible um, to, to a true RTO market day two market. We we have to get to that point where we can flip that switch and that's going to take transparency, trust in the governance and trust in the market design.
0: Yeah, that commitment for the the day ahead unit commitment to me is a a big hurdle that, that you have confidence in the structure of the market and in the operations of the market. Um, And, and that's, you know, one of the things that as we look forward to not only energy and balance markets and and that balance real time balancing market, but this day ahead, it's the additional hurdle you got to clear in order to get unlock the value of all those additional transactions.
2: Yeah, because if you, if you have a day ahead market that runs, you have to trust the solution such that you can decommit and not nominate gas and you can decommit your expensive units if you don't get to that level of trust you are not going to realize the market efficiency and the savings that you're hoping for. I mean, that, that's really what it boils down to.
0: Yeah, and this is leading into, I think, uh, another area of, of conversation, which is you, you pitch this as an alternative. It's another option for the Northwest of a different way to expand, evolve markets into this day ahead. Um, and, you know, in contrast to the conversations that the Northwest is currently having as part of Kaiso's EDAM. Um, And uh, can you talk through your approach to concept development and and as as an alternative uh, for us to evaluate?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Recent events in February have um, created conditions such that we're going to continue to have, frankly, some some fairly intimate conversations um, probably for the next six months or so. Um, there won't be any formal processes coming out before then. You know, our goal was to flesh out a few of these big rocks with with folks, um, just just to really hear them out and, and, and understand the issues as, as they see them. Run the proposals we've come up with by them, potentially develop new ones, take the ones they've already developed and run them through, you know, our group, and, and really just frankly build some relationships and get to know each other a little bit. Um, so, so the idea here. Is, is, as you said, to develop an alternative, a, a true alternative to everything else that's being considered. We're not asking anyone to, to change direction or timeframes. Um, those that are headed to the EIM, great. If, if they want to look at the energy and balance service, we'd love to have a conversation about that, too. Those are the two options today, right in front yeah. of them, that are viable options. Uh, what we're talking about, again, is that that principles and concept stage, but the goal is to put something out there that people can actually compare. We think we can come up with a product um, that will be a true alternative to, to what's currently being considered. And, and anytime there's a choice, it's always better for the consumer in the end. All we're asking is folks engage with us and have a conversation. That's what we're looking for.
0: Yeah, and I, I like that uh, you're framing this not as, you know, trying to throw a wrench in the gears of where we're currently headed. Uh, and and I think from my own perspective, uh, as a Bonneville customer, um, that them participating in some market like the energy imbalance market, which they're evaluating today, may be beneficial in this conversation, because they can have some experience operating in, in an organized market. Um, and I don't think that precludes us from considering that evolution to the day ahead. Um, and I think it, Actually, may enhance the discussions on um, what it would mean for Bonneville to consider operating uh, in in a day-ahead market, and and give them some more insights into how they would do it. So, um, no, I, I, I like this, I, this conversation point.
2: Absolutely, and you know, with respect to Bonneville, um, you know, one of the things too is just having a more you know intimate conversation regarding what we've been able to do for WAPA, for example, because every PMA, and frankly, with WAPA, you've got several regions within it. Every region there has distinct enabling legislation and issues that they have to consider to move forward with any kind of organized market. And Bonneville is infinitely more complex than those. So, but it'd be fun to sit down with them and explain how we got to where we got, for example, with the Upper Great Plains WAPA region um, and, and some of the things that can be done.
0: So, yeah, I forgot to even talk about that and tee up that conversation because it is one of those uh, like benchmark experiences, right, of a, a federal PMA as participating in, in SPP's uh, organized market. That's a it's a benchmark in, in my mind of, of how you can collaborate and how you can get comfortable.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and it's worked out well for them um, in, the, in the integrated marketplace. If you look at the numbers and discussions that are out there, you can look up some of the administrators. Uh, former, you know, discussions on WAPA's website—they—they've—they've they've been pleasantly pleasantly surprised with what they've been able to do in the integrated marketplace.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for, for participating. It sounds like we're going to have some more conversations. I'm happy to uh, introduce you to the broader audience, not just the members forum um, and and get some more uh, ability to rewind uh, and check uh, notes uh, is always valuable. So thanks for agreeing to come on and chat and explore this more. I really appreciate it.
2: No, I appreciate the, the conversation, Paul. And, and, and this is precisely what we were hoping to accomplish is frankly, start having that broader conversation. You know, let's talk and, and let's, let's see what we can do to benefit um, the, the Western stakeholders. And frankly, the stakeholders across the country, because I still think there's options there, as I mentioned earlier, when you look at just the last 12 months, um, the more we can start leveraging a broader footprint, broader than anyone ever imagined, I think it's going to be better for everyone headed where we're headed with the changing energy mix.
0: Yeah, and and if we do it with a collaborative process, we can have win-win solutions. That's what we're trying to accomplish, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, SPP has been accused of being painfully collaborative. So, um, at, to your point, yeah, if you're trying to avoid a committee, sorry, but <laughs> we are we are a committee-driven organization. <laughs>
0: That's uh, good to hear actually from from people in public power who are, who are um, looking at your marketplace. So uh, thank you. And thank you for your collaboration and willing to be uh, uh, have a conversation with me.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. And I've, I've got to run to another call. So we'll yeah, talk absolutely. to you later. Yep, bye. Okay, thanks, bye.
0: At PPC's March 4th members forum, SPP floated the market plus concept. It's been a topic of interest since then. To digest the proposal, I invited a bunch of public power geeks who are way more plugged in and smarter than I am. Joining us to talk about markets is PPC's Director of Market Policy and Grid Strategy, Lauren Tenney-Denison. Lauren, welcome back to Public Power Underground. Hey, Bob. Do you have any disclaimers for us this week?
3: Sure. Before we launch into it, I'll just note this is a you know a new topic, fast developing. We're still reaching out to members, so I'll share some perspectives today, but those are mine, and uh, I'll leave it at that.
0: I love it. Thank you very much. We're also joined by an alumni of Public Power Underground After Dark, a thought leader in public power, a similarly enthusiastic public power advocate, and the power resource manager for PUD Number Two of Pacific County, Humaira Falkenberg. Welcome to Public Power Underground.
4: Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you and Robert and Lauren and soon Michael Lynn. Um, And my uh, disclaimer is anything I say should not be used against me. (laughs) My opinions are only my opinions and do not represent any utilities or any organization's opinions. I'll leave it at that.
0: I love it. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, in true public power underground fashion, I used peer pressure to get connected to the newest friend of the underground, the director of customer operations for Seattle City Light and an alumni of several iterations of market initiatives in the Northwest, Robert Cromwell. Welcome to the underground, Robert. Thank you, you Paul. And got some disclaimers for us.
4: Director of
5: As the director of customer operations at City Light, and in the hopes that I still will be tomorrow or the day after you broadcast. Uh, My comments are my own and should not be attributed to the elected officials of the city of Seattle.
0: I love it. I love it. I think at the end of all of these episodes, I do the broad disclaimers that this is all (laughs) entertainment and a way to collaborate across public power. And that's what really we're hoping to do is have a conversation amongst people that are smart. Um, And y'all are really smart. I'm really glad to have you talking about it. Um, Like I mentioned, this Market Plus concept got discussed at the members forum. Um, I, like many people during the pandemic, uh, was like half paying attention to the members forum uh, because, you know, we're all working on our desktops and emails come across and you respond to them. Um, so I thought maybe the best way is to do some debrief and maybe uh, talk and deliberate to try to get people's first impressions. And maybe that could be helpful for some of my peers who are friends of the underground. Um, so Myra, you also attended the members forum. You had some good comments Um, right after uh, Steve Johnson from SPP spoke. So what were your initial thoughts, initial takeaways um, from that presentation and on this Market Plus concept?
4: Uh, Thanks, Paul. Um, Yeah, I was really pleased to see SPP uh, launch uh, Market Plus to the PPC members forum, I was very pleased to see that. And in presence was of course, Joel Cook and Suzanne Cooper and uh, John Hairston. Um, And I was very pleased to see that the senior executive team from the agency was present because there were actually three things on my mind during that time. Um, For public power utilities, you know we've been talking um very seriously about the agency's competitiveness and competitive competitiveness not just right now but also its um strategic placement in our resource portfolio post 2028 as we look at new contracts with the agency um, And part and parcel to this Bonneville's competitiveness is what happens to uh, organized markets. And it's not just a question whether Bonneville will participate in an organized market, whether it's SPP or CAISO or some other market. Um, Even if it does not participate in an organized market, there is tremendous risk an exposure to BPA's secondary revenues to centralized market design, um, and that has an impact to revenues and therefore BPA's power rates. Um, the range for Bonneville's secondary uh, revenues can be anywhere from 180 million to upwards of 500 million. And that's a tremendous subsidy that we receive as public power to our PF rates. Um, And so post-2028 product selection and Bonneville's competitiveness are really intrinsically connected to how the agency manages its exposure to centralized markets. And as a customer, we're watching very, very carefully uh, what, how Bonneville approaches Kaiso or SPP markets. Um, and we also look at Bonneville's most recent investments in grid modernization and h- human capital and learning, not to be lost if, if, if the agency considers to opt out of CAISO or EIM markets or EDAM markets, but that that knowledge and the infrastructure improvement provides the agency operational experience that in fact can be transferred to other forms of market participation. So we don't really see that as a loss. Um, so I'll, le- I'll pause there. Um, that was one preface. The second thing um, I was thinking about organized markets and the SPP's presentation Was the intersectionality of resource adequacy, resource sufficiency, and Bonneville's position of large hydro renewable resources, um, and how there's an opportunity for the agency to monetize. Uh, significant benefits associated with not just energy, but perhaps capacity in SPP markets plus scenario. Um, So I'll pause there and see if there are any other comments from the other panelists at this point or from you, Paul, and uh, I'll just let it be at that at this point.
0: Yeah, one of the things I find really interesting about the way SPP thinks through or pitched the concept of Markets Plus was around um, the understanding price formation and the value of price formation, right? And that was one of their key themes is independent governance helps with uh, price formation because you can, uh, I think one of the quotes uh, was that the, the, independent governance is key to having good, good governance is key to having good price formation was kind of the concept. So I go to you, Lauren, you were also at the members forum, and I think your insights into, in your initial takeaways from the presentation um, and any response you think to Humira's points about capacity value and the value to to Bonneville broadly of markets.
3: Yeah, I think Humira covered it uh, perfectly as far as, you know, why, why are we engaged in this? Why do we care? What is, what is really at you know what, why are we talking about markets anyway you know there's a lot um, bringing it back to what what does that actually mean when BPA or, or anybody in the Northwest engages in the market at the bottom line it's it's what are the risks that are that you stand as part of that market what are the benefits and I think she did a great job overviewing that uh, Paul what you just mentioned I think you know looking at you know, SPP didn't really put a proposal out on the table, right? It's a, it's a concept. And so it's a little bit hard to start parsing through exactly what that means. Cause it's so high level, but you just hit on, I, I think they really um, probably have been doing their research on some of the conversations that have been happening as public power has engaged um, on EDAM, on EIM, you know, the discussions we've been having with KISO. Cause you, they really, you know, price formation has been a huge one. How do we make sure that that price, Prices are being formed meaningfully. That um, you know, low rates are are a good thing um, until they're not, right? You look at ERCOT, and how do you set the risk? You can't push depress prices so much that you're um, you're not sending the right signal. So price formation is super important from that perspective. And we've been saying that a lot. I say we, I mean the Royal, all of uh, Northwest Public Power that's been engaging. Yes, the region's been saying that a lot in comments and, you know, governance is another big issue. And, you know, they even highlighted on one of their slides, the uh, potential for an independent market expert, which is something that we've talked a lot about. Yeah, that we've been advocating for a lot um, in both EDAM and in the EIM actually, to make sure that, you know, the oversight is there for that market. So I, I definitely think there's something to having, you know, the governance and oversight have to be in line or or you you end up with the best outcomes when those are in line so that you get the right price formation Um, but you know that again we're talking really high level concepts at this point Um, but but they knew they knew their talking points and they they knew how to get our attention for sure
0: yeah, like SPP has a mole in the Northwest. Yeah, feeding him all of the intel about what, what our key terms are, right? Hit all, all those uh, those talking points that we've been trying to push at Kaiso. Of course, it's all public, so you don't really need a mole. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I found a portion of the pitch and the concept I think is really, it's a good uh, moniker for it because it's not a proposal, um, was kind of a differentiation of options, right? They aren't, they aren't saying uh, that you have to take this path. It's just another option. And what kind of how can we come up with another option for the Northwest um, that isn't a full RTO? And I think that's a, a separate way of thinking about our current path as they framed it. And I think is fairly accurate is like the Western EIM and EDAM and resource adequacy being a separate function. Whereas SPP's proposal is to try to have the reliability coordinator resource adequacy component, real-time market and day ahead market under the same kind of Market plus structure. What do you think of that, Robert? From uh, conceptually, the instead of uh, piecemeal uh, through different organizations, trying to come together in a uh, more uh, same organization, touching on all four of those areas.
5: I think I think it's probably inevitable, and I, I think it's it's really more a question of how things evolve. I, it, it's sort of the if you look historically at what we've tried to do in the Northwest over the last 20 years, it's always been sort of that, try to hit the home run, right? Let, let's let's grid, grid West, RTO West, uh, the MC effort, right? It was sort of, you know, the, the MC was sort of the first time we tried to nibble into it and see if we could step into it slowly. And, and we couldn't. Um, I, I think the part of this that, um, you know, where I might gently disagree with, with Humaira and Lauren is I don't know that the world will wait for us to make the decisions we wanna make in the time frame we'd like to make them. Um, I, I think that if you look at any of the studies done around the WEC about how you get to a low carbon future, you pretty much don't get there with 20 plus BAs operating in the West. It, it simply will not function. Uh, well, I, I guess to be careful. You, you could make it work. The net cost to customers would be horrific of, of trying to, to balance the uh, 100% renewable portfolio on, on a very small EA like we have in, in Seattle. Um, and, and, and so I think that it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to accept that we're not in control. Uh, and I think that there's a big element of this conversation where that realization needs to get a little deeper in our community.
0: So one of the um, like interesting things I've I've witnessed, and I have a shorter career, I, ha- I was not part of the NC effort. Not to say uh, um, that that was that long ago, uh, but there's an there's a, a desire to be incremental in your approach, right? And it seems like there has been some success. So, you know, the power pool is looking at a resource adequacy program incrementally. Um, the energy imbalance market with Kaiso. There there are some incremental steps, um, and there's a way to kind of incrementalize your your way to something like an RTO. But Robert, to your point, do you think um, that you really have to get to like the, the speed to which you have to get to be a consolidation is way faster than these incremental approaches are going to allow us to do. I, I, you know,
5: for me at the end of the day, Paul, it's about cost. You know, how much cost are we going to impose on our customers? And, and an incremental approach makes people comfortable. It, it helps build trust right? It allows you to develop organically in a way that um, I think makes a lot of people more comfortable. Um, But I'm not sure that reality will permit us that luxury. I think it's, you know, uh, Lauren mentioned Texas, right? There have been at least two major storms in Texas in the last decade that indicated precisely what needed to be done to avoid the facts that we saw this year and the deaths that resulted from their not preparing for storms. Um, I, I fear that if we do not look forward long enough and hard enough and, and look hard at ourselves with a, with a good, healthy dollop of humility, um, that we may be on a similar path with, with obviously different dynamics, but, but an equally tragic outcome if we're not careful.
0: And so that speaks to, I think the next topic I wanted to touch on, which is, you know, regardless of the speed of the path or like where you ultimately end up there, there's, there is you need some process to get there. You got to start somewhere. So I was wondering, Lauren, from your perspective, what what does the path look like? Where is um, where is the next step? Is it uh, um, what what? How do we work through whether it be markets plus or other uh, market evolution? How do we, as a region, start the process? Because I think Roberts. Is generally agreed upon point that we have to start getting somewhere. We can't just l- live in the current market environment uh, forever.
3: Right. Yeah. I think that the more that we as public power can come together and come up with, you know, what, what, what are we looking for long-term? What do we want to get out of the market? And that's something that should be applicable you know whatever proposal comes up, right? We we should be able to be a little bit versatile in how we're setting this up. If we focus, I think, too narrowly on, you know, precisely each proposal in front of us, um, we're we're gonna we we have a we have a tendency to lose sight of the whole of what we're trying to achieve. And then, you know, I think, you know, the reminder of there's a lot of benefits about uh, taking an incremental approach, but you also have to remember that each step puts you onto a certain path right you, yeah. you take this step and and so now your options are a little different than if you hadn't taken that first step and I think that balancing it's it's a lot to try to balance and and um, you know keep in focus but that's really the more we can think kind of have a long-term strategic objective of where we want to go what we want to get to be flexible a little bit with the proposals is how we get there because you know, as I as I'm seeing these proposals come forward, I'm anticipating that we're going to be asked by members to be engaged on multiple fronts. And and I think that there's uh, the potential for some significant benefits and having some competition out there and options of, you know, is this market going to work better for us or is this market going to work better for us? So, um, You know, you can't you can't play that game for too long because, you know, like Robert said, the world's not going to wait for us to, you know, analysis paralysis, you gotta, gotta take a step forward at some point, but, um, just really trying to be a little bit more proactive about what we want. I think, you know, uh, and this is something that we can maybe talk about. Uh, I think you have another prompt for us, Paul, but, um, if we focus too much on what we don't want, uh, that's probably not going to get us necessarily to where we do want to go.
0: Yeah. One of the things, uh, you're, what you're talking about made me, kind of got my head going on is is the staff associated with it like if you're if you have a bunch of proposals that takes a lot of work by staff to kind of think through and and comment on and uh work on um one of the things that uh steve steve talked about during our interview was that uh, that uh spp is actually going to take a pause because they're they had the EEA 3 emergencies this past uh, this past winter past february Um, And they're going to take six months to make sure that they have that understood before going on to to, uh, develop in more details this proposal. Um, And I'm wondering from uh, like you and I and Humaira have been involved in a lot of these workshops on EIM participation. Is there in some ways a sigh of relief um, around the pause that you can continue with the development of this EIM implementation um, before having to put a lot of staff work into... Uh, uh an SPP market concept and, and proposal um and Meyer, maybe I'll, I'll transition to you a little bit so you can share your thoughts on not only the path forward but also um a pause and if that helps and is that if that's beneficial
4: yeah so two things I want to go back to a comment that Robert made earlier so I want to make sure I address yeah, absolutely. it absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um, so my r- remarks I hope um, are a little bit more nuanced. My position is a little bit more nuanced. It isn't so much that BPA should not consider Kaiso at all as a, a participating in that market. It's much more nuanced. Um, it's really looking at the agency having an eyes wide open approach to market development Regardless of any entity or proposal that may be on the table, that's one. And two, I'm very um, conscious that vast majority of BPAs interchange entities are already EIM participants in KISO, and that in turn is having an impact on bilateral transactions with the agency, very, very mindful of that. So we definitely don't wanna be left behind, uh, but at the same time, we need to advance to the agency to keep a really sharp, clear, eyes wide open approach to participating in a market that's designed well, that has cost effectiveness, that places a premium On reliability and has independence and is agnostic to resource advantaging and the design construct is transparent and there's um, multi-state, if you will, governance structure um, that prioritizes really reliability. Um, And so I'm agnostic to whichever entity that might be that the agency participates. So that's one. the second comment I wanted to make was related to uh, the iterative process that Lawrence spoke of that, uh, particularly with respect to Kaiso, you have um, real time transactions, energy imbalance market, and then you also have day ahead markets with respect to EDAM and what i view as bonneville's success as an eim participant is actually the eventual participation in an edam market which allows the agency to monetize the full and complete value of the fcrps and to me that means not just energy but capacity the the greenhouse gas free attributes associated with the compo- with that component of energy, ancillary services, regulation up and regulation down and spinning and ramping capability. Um, and to really monetize all aspects of that bundled preference product. Um, and right now the current design has way too much uncertainty between day ahead and real time time timeframes. And with respect to KAISO, this has led to reliance on out of market actions and processes by KAISO operators to um, assure reliability. And so I'm thinking that as Bonneville goes to consider which market to participate, It needs to be really thoughtful, methodical, and conscientious of not just the next two years in front of it, but thinking about its long-term competitiveness, it's going to provide uh, public power. Thank you.
0: No, I really like that. and And I think uh, one of my uh, big uh, wins, I think, in public power underground is we've connected the passion of public power with the nuance of public power. Passion and nuance uh, is really the hallmark, right? Right? Hugh Meyer? that was a great Scott Corwin from the last time we talked.
4: That's right. <laughs>
0: Um, Robert, uh, one of the areas that I think is really important is, is some of the history of all of these market attempts we've made and, and wondering if you can provide some insight or what your, your thoughts are on, um, you know, the, the things we should look out for as a region, if we want to be successful, if we want to evolve and participate in uh, a larger market, how how do we do that and avoid the same pitfalls that have, have doomed it in the past? Yeah, well, thank, thank you, Paul. Great question.
5: Actually, I think this is the first time I've publicly spoken about this. Um, so, you know, the, the, the first thing when I've looked back on it, getting ready for this, this podcast was um, we did not hire professional facilitation. We assumed that as smart people, we could manage ourselves well. And I think we proved ourselves wrong. And so any effort going forward, I think having neutral third-party facilitation is probably going to be a linchpin to being successful. Um, all of us have day jobs, no matter how much our bosses tell us we're going to be released from our daily duties to go off and do this market fund stuff, you're still going to have a a job that you need to manage. And so having a third party that we're simply paying to help us do well, I think would be critical to any effort that the Northwest tries to uh, uh, drive on its own, independent of SPP or or Um, KISO. I think that the other thing is that You know, another study is not gonna change anybody's mind. (laughs) I mean, we've we've done enough studies, we kind of know where the numbers are. You know, you can you can look at the bookends of studies out there and you know pick where you wanna be on the scale of of trust. But you know, at at the end of the day, um, trust is another thing that that I think we assumed was there and wasn't. And and I think part of it is we really need to get honest with one another. You know, Lauren represents a very diverse group of members, and those member interests are diverse and and so what's right for a a a rural co-op in uh you know western idaho may not be right for seattle and vice versa and i think that's where the conversations in public power get really hard right because you you have to recognize and acknowledge that there are going to be differences of perspective driven by what the needs of the entity and their customers are and and so i think getting really honest with each other and and sort of uh you know, it, it can't be a public power thing without an acronym, right? Everybody yeah. know what TAN staffel is? No, no idea. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Anyways, it, it's just, you know, there, there's there's going to require, you know, any any Northwest or, or West wide effort that public power tries to drive is, is going to need, uh, you know, a fairly deep conversation around what the diverse interests are and how they map out against what the future might look like. And I think that that that's really just the first step, right? You've got to be able to understand how you can mitigate risks for customers and and, and utilities that don't have uh, an intrinsic ability to do that, right? Full requirements customers who are, you know, essentially a load serving entity, uh, an LSE, but but not a BA or a TO or a TOP or any of the other acronyms. Uh, and and so think about that, right? I mean, if, if you've got a lot of folks who are really worried about their transmission expense, that that can drive their decision making. But if you help them understand that, that lower cost power delivered over that transmission system might actually swamp the uh, the delta that they might see in their transmission expense, then it maybe gets to be a little different conversation, and and those elected officials might get a little more comfort with, with the authority that they would have to delegate to a third party entity, whether to operate transmission or, or a market. Um, and and then again, I, I mentioned it earlier that, you know, just, I think one thing that I have learned is, is a greater sense of humility around what I don't know. And I think, um, all of us tend to feel strongly. We are passionate people about the work. Uh, we wouldn't be doing it if we weren't. Um, and, and I think it's hard to check ourselves, frankly, uh, you know, looking in the mirror and, and really thinking hard about what somebody says and, and whether you agree or disagree. And why is that, you know, are you simply just sort of stuck in how you've you know your organization thinks about a given issue um epa rates you know different products uh, etc et I, I think it's really important to find a way to really hear people that you disagree with and and try to understand what's driving their behavior and, and can you help them right because ultimately the only way any of this stuff works is if we're able to build up enough trust that we're willing to take a leap and and I. It's a leap of faith, I, I, you know, for, forgive me for using the phrase, but, um, you know, the, the other lesson learned for me, Paul, it, with the demise of the MC was I needed to get over that and, and to best serve my customers in Seattle, I had to get over it pretty quick. And, and I spent about the next six months living in Sacramento, effectively, understanding CAISO, understanding the regulatory scheme, you know, to, to Humira's earlier points, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the dozen or so things you want to see in a market construct. Half of them are never going to come out of California. Personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're never voluntarily going to see the California legislature giving board seats to people from outside California for that entity, because they don't think of it as an ISO. This is my fundamental insight in the time I spent in Sacramento. The CAISO is just another state agency, like the state patrol, like the CPUC or anything else that does something for the people of the state of California. And until FERC or someone else is willing to force them to become a more uh, neutral, uh, independent maybe, <laughs> one might say, yes, uh, an, an independent to go with that system operation piece of their work. Um, and, and I just, I realized it, at that point that, that having expectations that, that run contrary to that, really, we're not going to be realistic. And, and so for me, in representing Seattle and thinking about how do I accrue additional incremental revenue? How do I improve the operation, the, the capabilities of my colleagues in power marketing and in the BA operations on the transmission side? EIM has gotten us there. Um, it, it's certainly not for everyone and, and there's ways that you can mitigate your risk. Um, but when I look at where we were and where we are now, we are undoubtedly a better organization for it and we are continuing to learn. And, and I expect that as we get better around You know, analyzing how we work through 2020, when you look at the different transactional tenors, the mere fact that it adds a tenor that you didn't have before is optionality that has intrinsic value, regardless of how it plays out. Um, And and your ability to step out of your bid structure uh, effectively next day uh, really
0: allows you to cut off your risk, uh, unlike ERCOT's market design, shall we say. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. um, I I really like the idea of that independent uh, moderator in these discussions. I think um, that can be a really valuable way to actually have those meaningful discussions that you spoke to. We have to be able to trust each other and have a forum to have those really hard conversations. So um, thank you for providing even deeper than that, right?
5: Like, let's say that you build trust amongst—I I can't remember, Lauren. You got about 140 members, something like that. Um, you know that.
3: Yeah, but fewer than that, but near 100. 100
5: yeah, 100 plus it members.
3: feel like <laughs> yeah,
5: you got yeah. over 100 members. How's that? Better, better said. Uh, you know, and and let's just say that when it comes to markets, 40 say yeah, let's go for it, and 60 say no, not interested, leave it alone how do we have a really honest and and you know truly compassionate discussion around what that means for all of public power and and you know it's it's not that folks want to be a stick in the mud or whatever they just don't see how they can mitigate the risk or the exposure so let's find ways right there there are tools that we can use that that mitigate risk um, you know we all have organizations that do that today uh, and to, to different degrees and we have different exposures so you know I think part of Part of getting comfortable with a coalition of the willing moving forward on markets means that that coalition has to be sensitive to the folks that are not part of that coalition and, and finding ways to, to make at least the experience as uh, where, where it will be negative, right? There, there are winners and losers out of any change. Uh, change is never neutral. Um, and, and just acknowledge those facts and, and find ways to deal with it.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That it's you know that there's going to be different things that different you know looking at our PPC's membership. There's going to be different things that different folks are looking for out of a market and um, getting to refining those perspectives. You know, you could design a market that offers a way for people to participate or exist within the market footprint that works for for everybody, right? Not not that gives everybody everything they want. I think Robert, that was also something very you shared a lot of um, really valuable insights, but one of the things is, you know, you're not going to get everything that you want. You have to really be able to um, weigh, there's no market with no risk. You have to identify the risks, decide what is acceptable for you. And there might be a, there there are ways to design markets where there's ways to participate or ways to exist within the market footprint that um, where some people can take on a lot of risk and, or, you know, risk and risk is not, we always talk about risk as a, a negative, but there, you know, risk is up and down. Um, and there, you know, there's ways for other people to come in and, and um, exist in that market footprint um, in a way that's a little bit more stable. So just really getting down to, um, what are what are people's needs in participating? Or I say participating, but I'm also just talking about you know existing in the market. Oh, existing. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. you know um, it's it's a little bit you might get into parsing. Well, we're not really participating, but we're affected by. Um, yeah. yeah, talking about the effects well, of, of existing. I didn't
5: see the I didn't see the presentation right, but um, one of the things I remember when we were spending quite a lot of time with both KISO and SPP and the MC effort. The M- the the public power members of SPP, regardless of their size, regardless of whether they had generation or no generation, they all felt heard. The 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 culture at SPP is so member driven that the public power community in those areas, those states, um, do not feel threatened by or or oppressed. Now there are disagreements. That, I mean, it's it's not all rainbows and unicorns, um, but but they're. Polite, professional disagreements, and they have developed tools to mitigate some of those risks.
0: Yeah, Hugh Myra, I'm uh, going to open it up to you. Yeah, go ahead.
4: Yeah, I, those are really thoughtful comments, Lauren and Robert. And Robert, I'm in agreement with you. The presentation that I heard from SVP, you know, they kept iterating um, that the diversity was their strength, and that the members felt they were heard. Um, that the individual utilities' voices weren't muted. Um, and, and in fact, that was one of, um, I was pretty, I was very pleased to hear that. Um, the second comment I wanted to make, <clears throat> and it's a comment to Robert, is that you know PPC has formed a markets development committee Mm-hmm. which Seattle is on as well as Tacoma and a number of other utilities. I think there are nine uh, uh, utilities on there, Lauren. Um, and that committee has been tasked to look at market developments, not just with respect to KISO, but also with SPP and to put together uh, market principles that would, guide public power um, in consideration of Bonneville's participation in an organized market or not. Um, And and to evaluate the risks and rewards of that. Um, And I really see that public power can coalesce around these principles um, very thoughtfully and that In fact, the little, uh, a rural co-op in Oregon um, has very much the same interests actually as Seattle and Tacoma. Um, Because if you are a requirements customer of the agency, a significant portion of your portfolio is pegged to what Bonneville does. And so, rural co-ops in Oregon or Montana or Idaho or public utility districts in the state of Washington and Oregon, um, they they should be paying very close attention to market developments work because at the end of the day, it affects the PF rate.
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Myra. I just I'm I am also equally sensitive to the fact that you know some of those PUDs have. Or I'm sorry, the the, the co ops and the smaller PUDs, you know, they might have 40 staff. 20 of them are line crews. <laughs> there might be the general manager and maybe one other person who might come to Portland once in a while, and that's
0: it. Right. The I commission- mean, you are literally describing me. There's 36, I think, people <laughs> staff at Glatskon I PUD. There's, you know, I'm the person that goes to regional meetings. Uh, you see my the power department weekly on yeah. public power underground. Yeah, exactly. And, we, and it takes, yep. you know, insights. And from I'm a staff of like one. You. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we're passionate. Um, we have great people like Lauren helping yeah. us out of PPC and great peers like you, Robert, that are willing to uh, give us your insight into prior excursions into these markets. Um, and I do think, you know, one of my takeaways from this conversation and from um, SPP's presentation is that there is general alignment amongst public power around the value of market evolution. And to Humaira's point around, you know, the really value of that secondary revenue and making sure we're well positioned in the future as public power. Um, I think that's incredibly important that we at least have those grounding principles. And Lauren, PPC has done some great work around market principles um, to try to make sure nope. we're aligned.
5: Paul, I, I'll I'll just encourage Humaira one, one takeaway. Um, for me in in retrospect, looking back at our eIM analysis and the business case and all that um, i I had to look it up to figure out the term but it 's called compounded conservatism when when you do modeling or business cases and and you start haircutting every element of it because you're not real sure so let's be let's be careful right uh, you know what is it failure is an orphan and victory has a thousand parents um, you know i I look back at the business case and you know, we, we pegged a number that's half of what we earned in three quarters of one year. And, and so very clearly we had, in, you know, for, for the best of reasons and the best of intents, we biased ourselves down so far that it was a wash in some people's views. And, and especially when you're talking to elected officials, if, if you're biasing your analyses up or down in a way that's inappropriate, um, you're, you're not really giving them good information to make decisions on. And, and so, you know, my, one of my lessons learned from just the EIM piece is to just be, be aware that, that there is an intrinsic conservatism in our culture as a, as an industry. And that if we let that run as, as you know, in terms of our modeling and our analyses, I mean, we've got at least three different big models that, that were built around EIM and whether we should go or no go, um, At least year one we came out very much on the high side and and obviously you you want to look over a decadal experience but all we've got is the experience we've got until we get it. Um, And and so far that's that's looking pretty conservative.
4: Um, Great feedback Robert.
0: A great discussion today, everybody. I really appreciate everybody coming together and being willing to chat with me, the person from a small rural utility uh, that really has no influence other than uh, having good conversations with other people. So thank you all. High five. Can we do a uh, high five? Good job, team.
3: Woo. I'm going to guess this isn't our our last discussion about this either. It's I very much, you know, Paul, thanks for providing the forum. I've missed this type of interaction. And I know that's exactly what your show is all about. So Appreciate you bringing us all
0: together. Thanks for the plug. I really appreciate it. (laughs) But before you go, upset alert! And a surprise come from behind upset victory. The (laughs) public power underground anandromus championship belt for the best friend of the underground because they keep coming back has been claimed by PPC's (laughs) Lauren Teddy Dennison. Lauren, any words for the doubters out there who thought it couldn't be done? Four public power underground appearances in three uh, weeks.
3: You no, know, I just you, you shouldn't. Don't doubt. Paul will have you on his show. Let him know you want to be on his show, and you can make it happen.
0: Look at that, Belle! So you're
2: going to add uh,
5: hot wings to the uh, to the discussion.
0: <laughs> Do some I hot love take some hot takes. oh yeah, that 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 uh hot wings
5: the the that interview show where they all eat uh, uh you know spicy wings and then it gets hotter and hotter and
0: hotter and
3: Ooh. people
0: get get more and more honest because they can't think straight anymore i love this concept a hot oh wings episode we're gonna do it we're gonna do it but lauren
3: I might that one but you know <laughs> you know next time unless there's a big glass of milk too
0: any smack talk for Kurt, uh, who has been on many times. He thought he was a shoe in for the belt. He's been yeah, on so you many said times. He
3: came up with the belt, right?
0: He came up with the belt <laughs> idea, not the first recipient. Or or Karen, your coworker, who uh, also yeah. like
3: Karen. I I got the belt, man. You're gonna come after it. I'm not Lauren. It. I'm, I'm it.
4: coming for you. I'm coming for you,
3: Lauren. Lauren. Oh no. <laughs>
0: Can you give me any announcer takes, uh, Robert? You've got the announcer voice. Can you give me any, uh, any like, uh, congratulations or anything? You think you can cover oh, something? Oh,
5: well, uh, you know, congratulations to Lauren on another astounding victory. Stay tuned for the next episode when the fight will continue.
0: Oh, what a great way to end this episode. <laughs> that was so good. Got the voice of Robert Cromwell calling the belt championship.
3: I, okay. I don't know. Now you're going to have to have Robert on each time you award the belt. as All right. I'm like, going to it do it the voiceover. Then, yeah, then he'll earn the belt through that. I, this,
0: I mean, Robert, do you want the belt? Because this may be your <laughs> path. I'm just saying. This could be it. You know what?
5: The one thing I've learned in the last year of this pandemic is I need a lot less belts and suits and dress shirts. I'm <laughs> Britta belts.
3: Well, luckily, this one has lots of um lots of adjustment options. Oh, there you go. uh... Yes,
0: that's for anybody
3: interested in the belt. The belt is this is a high quality belt, Paul. I am impressed.
0: (laughs) You want to show off the little baby belt? We need to get like some pictures of the baby on the baby belt uh, with the baby belt.
3: (laughs) We can definitely do some pictures of the baby in the baby belt. Oh my god!
0: Content. (laughs) We're looking at content. Okay, <laughs> never doubt Public Power Underground's commitment to the bit. Okay, thanks everybody. I'll let you all get back to your regular work days.
1: <laughs> see you all.
4: Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you all. Good to see you.
1: Have a great week.
0: Thanks for joining us for the premiere episode of Public Power Underground Premium. If you found us because you're interested in SPP's Market Plus concept, you might be interested in our weekly episodes where we talk about Northwest Public Power and public power adjacent news. Be warned, the tone of the upset alert portion of the show is the kind of content you can expect. But we continue to cover nuanced topics passionately for electric utility enthusiasts. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Public Power Underground, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content at Substack. At publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast app. That's all for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Public Power Underground Premium is a Northwest Public Power diversion for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department of Clatskanie PUD. The views here are our own and not the official views of Clatskanie PUD nor of any person or organization affiliated with or the business nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Brilliant. Neither Klotsky PUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Lauren, Humira, Mike, Robert, and Steve feel better about their participation in this special episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.